Hello and welcome to today's VJ Hemonc podcast. We are a global open access video journal bringing you the latest in hematological oncology. This podcast series will feature selected sessions from the 20th International Workshop on Non-Hodgkin Lymphoma, which was held in Miami, Florida, and brought together leading experts who discussed the latest in the field. In this podcast, you will hear from David Maloney, Jason Westin, and David Miklos, who share insights into the growing role of CAR-T therapy in lymphoma and further comment on how to improve and expand the CAR platform in this disease. Uh, greetings, I'm uh, Dr. David Maloney from the Fred Hutch Cancer Center in Seattle, and I'm here with my uh, two colleagues here at the IWNHL meeting, 20th, uh, 20th year of this meeting, uh, Dr. Jason Weston from uh, MD Anderson and Dr. David Miklos from Stanford. Uh, Jason, why don't, why don't you kick it off here? We had we hear great summaries uh, from the three different products and from Second Line. Yeah. Give us your take. Thank you. We had a great session this morning and, and uh, covered a lot of ground. Um, we heard about the three FDA approved products um, starting with Tisagen Leclusol. Uh, we heard from Dr. Schuster about the early studies that showed how that product targeting CD19, the autologous product uh, using 41BB, showed some uh, very good promise. However, as that trial moved from third line into second line, there were some challenges and that product is not approved in second line because of some perhaps design challenges in the Belinda trial. Um, Dr. Schuster also shared some of his data about different lymphodepletion regimens, including bendamustine, and we'll look forward to seeing more data about that at the ASH meeting. Then we heard from Dr. Safanilapu talking about axicaptogene, both in the Zuma-1 trial, um, as well as in now up to Zuma-25, lots and lots and lots of trials looking at axicaptogene uh, CD19 autologous product uh, uh, using CD28. Um, that uh, has shown in the Zuma-7 trial to now have a superior overall survival compared to platinum-based chemo followed in responding patients by autologous stem cell transplant, which we know is the standard of care for almost 30 years. And um, we made the case that there's a new paradigm where now CAR T cells should be considered a second line approach as opposed to chemo and transplant. And lastly, you presented some great data on lysocaptogene marilusol, the uh, other FDA approved product uh, using CD19 as the target. And again, uh, 41BB showing a very high response rate and uh, slightly favorable toxicity profile compared to axicaptogene. Again, in second line showing a superiority to standard of care uh, for event-free survival and a trend towards overall survival improvement. So effectively, we've got a new standard, which is always a great thing for treating patients with cancer, where second line now CAR T cells, uh, specifically axicel and lysocell, are the preferred approach. Yeah, I think it was a it was a great discussion, a lot of lively discussion about how you choose products for different populations populations at your own center. All right, David, um, it doesn't work in everybody. That's if right. we still fail and the product fails the patient, I guess in sixty percent of patients, what what do we do next? Well, we had an opening discussion of how the product may fail and what are some of the mechanisms of failure: antigen loss, exhaustion large tumor burden, poor tumor microenvironment, inhibitory cells. And so in that realm, we considered some options amongst a number of speakers. Um, I kicked it off with a discussion of, is it possible to make an autologous product that's going to target another antigen? And in our situation, it was CAR-22. Uh, this is a uh, study that Dr. Matt Frank led at our program and has treated patients. Uh, this uh, 
phase one uh, safety efficacy was all manufactured in-house and uh, the efficacy on the 27 patients treated with the recommended dose level one has gone forward now into a company-sponsored study and it's open in a number of multi-sites. So, so that seems like it's possible. You can still harvest from patients who've been through CAR and make another autologous and the idea of choosing a new antigen might be a good idea just to avoid the idea of antigen loss. Uh, we heard a lot by uh, Dr. Siddiqui in regards to a number of competing programs in the allogeneic or off-the-shelf space. And the idea there is that time is important and getting the patient's therapy quickly uh, would be uh, helpful. And if the product is in the freezer, uh, liquid nitrogen, then moving from uh, consent to treatment on a clinical trial space could be relatively quick. And uh, there again, we talk about what are the targets, what are the mechanisms to avoid graft-versus-host disease of therapies that are going to be immunologically different. The histocompatibility is gonna to lead to some immunological rejection of these products. Uh, how do you avoid this? Whether it's uh, TCR depletion, beta-2 microglobulin, uh, using checkpoint uh, blockades. Um, what we, I think, heard though was that we need to think about the uh, durable response uh, evidence in order to move therapies that are not shown in large patient cohorts with thousands of real world outcomes to a uh, second line or to compete with the autologous CAR T cells that have proven benefit, especially in these randomized second line. I think I'll stop there. Yeah, I think it was, you know, I was struck by the fact that some of these uh, allo CAR T programs use very high dose lymph depletion you know, like 60 per kilo of psi, time, or psi times two plus five days of fludarabine. It's more like a till uh, type uh, type regimen. How do you disassociate the response just to that chemotherapy from your actual product? Because, you know, if you're looking at initial responses at day 28, sure. I guess I wouldn't be too right. surprised that you're responding to a transplant regimen uh, to some, at least Transient. And so. therefore, the emphasis on durable responses being demonstrated for six month minimum and possibly even longer. And, but and I think what you about need biologic correlates, right? You need, you know, I'd like to see T cell proliferation, I'd like to see T cell expansion, some correlation of T cell expansion with outcome. Uh, you know, like we've seen in, in the in some of the other trials. Yeah, you would think that the PK of these allogeneic products is driving the uh, decisions to escalate dose, to uh, change the lymphodepletion. What if you have good expansion on these really large uh, lymphodepletion regimens now? Could we pull back and have less lymphodepletion mm -hmm. and have a more tolerable experience for long-term immune reconstitution and hopefully avoid some late infections? Yeah, well, I think that's, a, that's the next topic that we should mention, <laughs> which is really... Uh, you know, we're we're treating these patients. We're curing them, as I think the data you showed in some in a well, minority of patients. Dr. Weston really did make the case, yeah. and, and I'm going to highlight again what you highlighted. Uh, read the paper because yes. uh, the discussion actually used the word cure in the comparison times. of second line with overall survival benefit with access. But what about long-term issues? We, it's not just CRS and neurotoxicity. We have other issues. Yeah, I mean, in infections clearly are a problem. Uh, and I think that that's something that uh, David made the, the case that we need to look at outcomes, not just for the first 28 days or the first couple months, but looking at long-term outcomes, including risk of infections. And I think the studies that are ongoing now, it's incumbent on them to report these uh, data, especially when we're using very high doses of lymphodepleting chemotherapy, which we know increases the risk of bad infections. Um, so I, I think that looking at uh, 
you know, on-target effects of hypogammaglobulinemia that's durable. Um, that's, of course, a luxury to have versus being dead of your cancer. But in the long-term sense where you're curing more and more people, you got to look at what is the long-term outcome for the quality of life of a patient. And if they're chronically having a, a congested sinus and, and needing IVIG, that's not a trivial outcome. I, I think that late toxicities need to be looked at now that we've kind of moved out of the early days of CAR T-cells. Yeah, and I think, uh my message, I hope, was that collecting this data is gonna be a long-term, not just for the safety or REMS consideration of what the FDA negotiated, but for the community to be able to learn how to compare the established therapies, auto and allo, with these new CAR T-cells, and I assume the T-cell engagers. And it would be a shame if we took T-cell engagers forward and didn't capture their long-term follow-ups and infectious complications in this established uh, ecosystem of what CIBMTR helps us with already with registry data collection. Yeah, I think that's a key point because you know, James uh, Kuckenhofer also presented data from the original trials that actually led to AxiCell back in, what, 2008. Yeah. And, and, and it was it was long, it was was great to see the long-term follow-up. But I was also struck by the fact that if you have complete B-cell reconstitution, but you don't have Ig reconstitution, IgG reconstitution, or you still need transfusion, how much of this is really a carryover from their, their being bathed in rituximab uh, you know, for 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 years before they they even get to uh, to treatment. So I think we really need comparative groups, and I I really think that the 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 phase two the, the phase three trials in the second line will provide us some opportunity to look at what what happened in the control group. Right, the control group would have either gotten salvage chemotherapy alone if they didn't respond enough to get to a transplant, or they got transplanted. And, well, I know that many of my patients have uh, IgG deficiency before we even start, more than fifty percent. And if you're looking at you know levels like four hundred, and so uh, it is really expensive. There was some a lot of discussion about you know the cost of ongoing IVIG. Well, let's make sure it's actually due to the CAR T cells because if you if the CAR T cells are gone, the B cells are back. And I don't know that there's a good rationale for ongoing B cell depletion related to the car. So interesting. It's a good place to leave it. I, and it's very exciting. It's exciting to use the word cure at a large uh, seminar symposium. And uh, the IWNHL did a great job of having a wonderful um, conversations, discussions. Uh, really uh, wonderful to be here. I'm so glad to participate. Well, I'd like to thank my colleagues and, uh, um, and greetings from IWNHL number 20. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at VJ Hemonk and subscribe to VJ Hemonk Podcasts on Spotify, Apple and Podbean. Until next time. <laughs>